We're going to be continuing on our series in the book of Luke. Last week we talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector, the parable that Jesus told, uh, teaching us how we're justified, how we have the wrong taken off of us, how that works in our life, and how understanding it affects how we see God, ourselves, and others. Uh, if you miss that, you want to listen to it again, we've got all of our stuff on uh, line. You can go to the church website, um, and it's also on Apple Podcasts. Andrew and Heather uh, do a great job of making sure we stay updated there. So if you miss or, again, you just want to chew on it a little bit more. But we're going to be continuing on that today uh, in, in talking about what has our heart. Uh, so we're going to be in Luke 18, and we're going to start in verse 18. And I'm going to read and then we'll pray over the word as we receive it this morning. It says in starting in verse 18, chapter 18 of the book of Luke. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know, the commandments you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely and honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? In verse 27, he replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning that it's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and is able to cut into us and, and, and see the thoughts and the intents of our heart and, and divide us truthfully. I thank you, Lord, that um, you will prepare my remarks to, to go forth and, and to honor you, Lord, to be able to open uh, the windows of our heart and set before us comforting considerations. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you illuminate the word to us today uh, to teach us and to build us up in Jesus name. Amen. So here Jesus is out and about and it says a religious leader came up and asked him a question. This would have been a leader in the synagogue. And so, again, kind of like the Pharisees, you know, th this is like the religious A team. Uh, this guy rolls in and he asked Jesus or he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus first comes back and says, well, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And some people say, well, this is saying that Jesus isn't God. No, Jesus is going back at him on what he said to him. Because I'm just a teacher, right? Why do you call me good? I'm just a teacher. God is good. You just think I'm a teacher. But still, I'll answer your question. And he says, you know, the commandments. You know the commandments. And he says, he, he names all five of them. He says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't testify falsely and honor your mother and father. He doesn't list all of them, but he names the five that deal with our interactions with others, how we interact with other people. 
It's interesting that he left out, you know, have no other gods but God, no idols. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy and don't covet. Interesting that he would do that. But let, let's talk about this, that Jesus's first response when the man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lists some of the commandments. Now, last week we talked about how we're justified. Are we justified by the things that we do? No. Scripture says in Romans that no man can be justified by the works of the law, by keeping what's commanded in the law. None of us will be justified that way. We're, we're, we're saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. So, so is Jesus changing that? Is he going about this the, the wrong way or is he going at something else here? And I'll show you what he's doing. He's going at this man's heart. He names off these five commandments. He said, you know the commandments. What, what about those? And the man says, well, I've been doing those since I was little. I've been following those since I was young. So I, I checked the box. There's a lot of people that would say, well, the man obviously hasn't been following all the commandments because he's lying right here, right? It's because who's been following all the commandments correctly since they were young, but he's looking at the list that Jesus just read off. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't testify falsely, honor your father and mother. He could have considered himself to have followed those up to that point in his life. But we know something about Jesus. Jesus always, always, always is going to point out that the bar that you would have to meet when it comes to obedience, when it comes to you doing the right thing is so high that you will never reach it on your own. Right. Remember what he said when uh, he, he told him, you know, you say don't murder people. But I say, have you even thought about it? You say don't commit adultery, but I'm asking you, have you ever even considered it in your heart? Because if you have, you're just as guilty as the ones who have carried it out. Again, he raises the bar so high on obedience that we can never reach it, that we could never be justified by the works of the law. And he does the same thing uh, with the man here. And it's going to testify back to um, you know, Romans 3, no one is justified by the works of the law. He, he's going to come back to him and raise the bar past what the man uh, expected. And, and we should also mention before we step further in this, Mark's gospel also writes about this. And he's emphatic when he points out that Jesus loved this man. He had compassion for this man. Jesus isn't being snarky. He's not being, you know, ugly to this guy. He, he loves this person that's come to him and asked him about eternal life. He cares about his heart. And so it's important that we remember that as we're reading through this. He loves him. He has compassion, but he refuses to lower the bar. And so he's going to present a test and say, OK, well, you're obedient. You obey everything. Will you obey this? And in verse 22, he says, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, this is one of those, oh, my type of deals, right? Like, is Jesus going to make me give away everything that I have? Like, are there going to be buckets in the back where we just have to turn over all of our stuff? Is this prescriptive? In other words, is this, is this telling everyone what to do all the time? And, and no, obviously not, because we use the rest of Scripture. So I'm going to get that cleared out of the way first. Everybody go, okay, and you can listen to the rest. But we, we, 
two examples. We always use scripture to interpret scripture. Remember, Jesus would go and stay at the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, right? When he was in Bethany, that's where he would stay. And he stayed there multiple times. And we don't have record of him going there the second time and going, I can't believe y'all still have this house. You haven't sold it and given it to the poor yet. Y'all are just hell bound. I thought you were listening. Right. And say that he goes and he stays with them. And then there's the 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 account of him being there when people are bringing their offerings and people are coming and making a big show of how much they're giving. Right. And then the little widow lady comes and gives two mites, like the smallest amount anyone could give. And, and Jesus said she gave more than all because she gave all that she had. He didn't say, I'd like to ring the bell for this lady because she just got eternal life because she gave away everything that she had. So if it's not prescriptive. And not for everyone all the time, then we still can learn something from it. It's still powerful in our life. He tells this man, sell it all and come and follow me, which is an invitation to be like the 12, the disciples that have already been called, you know, Peter, Andrew, Matthew, Mark, James, John, the the disciples Come and be a part of this kingdom expedition and exhibition that's going on. Again, a big time invitation. And then we get to verse 23 and it's and it's tragic because it says when the man heard this, when he heard Jesus say this, he became very sad for he was very rich. And in Mark's gospel, it tells us that the man actually walked away, walked away Sad because he had many possessions. And so why did he get, he came to Jesus with a question and Jesus gave him the answer for him and then he got sad and he walked away. Why? Why? Because he could picture himself being happy with Jesus and his stuff. I can picture myself being happy with all the things that I have and you. But he did not believe, obviously, that he would be happy, fulfilled, satisfied, safe and secure with God alone. He didn't he he didn't believe it. And so what we're going to ask ourselves is, do we believe that God is big enough? Do we believe that God is sufficient enough to be able to carry and satisfy all that we want and that we need? Can he tote that responsibility? Can he carry it? That's what's going to be asked of us, just like it was asked of the man. Can he carry it? Is he enough? Back here in the back room, we've got a pool table uh, that was donated to the church a few years back now. Uh, Family here in town, they don't go here, but they said, hey, would y'all like this pool table for the church? It's been in our house. It's one of those coin operated ones, you know, that you see in a bowling alley or used to be in the skating rink kind of deal. And, uh, you know, it's here. Would y'all like to come get it? We're like, yeah, sure. And so we're talking about with them, like, well, when we can come and like what's going to be needed to get it out of there. And so I'm talking to the lady and standing there with her. And I said, well, you know, what if like it's me and like two or three other guys and we bring a truck and a trailer? Would that be enough? Would that be enough to get it? And it didn't take her very long looking at me to tell me no. (laughs) 
that would not be enough to get it. You're going to need a lot more than that. You need to release twice as many guys as that, if not three times as many to carry this because it's heavy. So, so she looked at me and what I was saying, it was like, no, I understand the weight that we're talking about. And I'm looking at you and what you've said you're going to bring. And I can tell you that it's not going to be enough. And I had been sized up and measured and quickly decided, no. And you know what? She was right. We needed a bunch more people and we still probably could have used a few more. It was heavy. So it probably it'll never be moved in one piece, probably out of that room. It will have to take it out in pieces. But that's essentially what this man. And again, this man's a religious man. He's a good man. I mean, he's doing the right things in his life and he's got, uh, you know, he's, he's somehow accumulated uh, wealth and riches, obviously through honest means, because he said he'd been following the law. Right. But, but this is what he had basically told Jesus is that you're not enough. You're not enough to, to carry me, satisfy me, to hold me. You're not enough. He measured Jesus and he didn't see him as being enough. Now, quick, quick point here. This does away with our argument. You know, we, we say in our own mind a lot, well, if I had just been there, if I could have just seen Jesus, if I could have seen the miracles, if I could have heard him teach, I would have never doubted. If I saw him walk on the water, if I saw him raise from the, if I saw any of these things, if I just, if, if Jesus appeared before me and told me to do it, I would obey fearlessly for the rest of my life. We, we think that in our heart, don't we? We kind of think, well, if I had seen it, then I would have, I would have believed. And this uh, proves, scripture proves that that is a lie. <laughs> scripture determines that that is a lie because these men and, and women, and of course they're no different from us, saw the things that Jesus did, heard the things that Jesus said, and yet many of them still didn't believe. This man was standing in front of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the, the one who through him all things were created. Everything that was made was made through him. And the scripture says in Colossians that it's in him that all things consist. He holds it all together. He's standing in front of that Jesus and he walked away. Jesus told him exactly what he needed to hear. He went with precision right to his heart, cut him deep all the way to his heart, exactly what he needed to hear, opened a wound and was ready there to heal it. And the man's view of Christ was so small that he chose something that is ridiculously less than Jesus, ridiculously less than Jesus. And it pointed out, you know, Jesus covered the first or five of the commandments. You know, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, honor your mother and father, don't lie. He, he covered those in his conversation and it seemed like he was leaving out the other ones, but he pointed them out in his question to the man. Well, would you sell all that you have and come and follow me? Because it says you shall have no other gods before God. Right. And, we, and you won't worship idols. That was another one that he didn't name explicitly, but that comes out in his statement and, and that you won't covet. You won't want things that aren't yours. And so it pointed out that there was some idolatry in this man's life, that he wanted these false things more than he wanted Christ. And then he walked away right in front of Jesus. 
hearing exactly what he needed to hear, cut him right to the heart, and he walked away. And that's terrifying, right? To see that be able to happen in a heart and in a life. But we can see it. We can see how the subtle drift in our own hearts can happen just like that if we look uh, close enough. And I'll give you an example. Um, When we think about heaven, right? We're believers. When we think about heaven, what do we think about? We think about all kinds of things. We think about getting to see uh, loved ones that have died. What we think about uh, it always being light. We think about never aging or and no evil and no sin and no crying, no pain, no problems. Right. Just if all the food must taste great. You know, it's just beautiful mansions in the sky. We think about all these things and all the examples that we see in uh, movies and television, m- m- mostly, you know, especially when they're when they're secular, when they're not made with, uh, you, you know, a Christian worldview. When, when we see these views of the afterlife, they normally deal with all of those things. You normally see all those things in there. People are always young and never tired and and all of these great things. But there's there's always something missing. What's missing? God. God is what's missing in most of these imaginings of heaven, especially in media. They either leave God out completely or he's so far in the background that they might as well have left him out. There was a recent show that that dealt with the afterlife and and, uh, apparently, and I haven't seen this last episode that I'm going to refer to, but I read an article about it. That in their last episode, they admitted something that I don't know if they realized they admitted. They pointed out something that I don't know if they realized what they were pointing out. But they crafted, again, one of these imaginary heavens, these afterlives where we go to where everything's great. You know, eat whatever you want. Go wherever you want. You can travel. It's going to be amazing. Everybody looks great, feels great, acts great all the time for eternity. But they threw in, see, they figured out that, that their vision of heaven had a problem in it. Their vision of heaven had a problem in it. And eventually, even when people are getting to do all of these fun things, things that they'd always wanted to do, enjoy themselves for forever, that all of those things would eventually get old. All of those things would eventually lose their, 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 their flavor, their enjoyment. They would stop enjoying them. And so they, so, so they imagined that there would be this door in their heaven that once you got tired of everything, you would walk through it and then you would just cease to exist. You could remove yourself from consciousness and just completely cease to exist. So what they admitted that I don't know if they realized they admitted was that even heaven without God will become hellish. When we have everything that we want, if he's not there, that that was what they were stating. You're going to have all of this. Everything is going to be available to you, but it's going to grow tiresome and old. And in the end, you're going to want to just end it. Because it's not about me getting to see my loved ones again, it's going to be amazing. It's not about getting in to enjoy all of those benefits because if they were there by themselves, it's going to get old. 
What heaven really is for us is it everlasting communion with the God who made us. John, the revelator in the book of Revelation, says that when Jesus glorified and, and in the heavens appeared before him, he said, I fell down like I was dead because of the power and the beauty that he experienced, even in a vision of what it would be like. And our kids sometimes have trouble with wrapping their mind around heaven. I'm not going to spend too long on this, but I think it's important that, that we that we see it right in our head. You know, they, they think heaven and they're like, is it just going to be like church? But it always keeps going like that. doesn't. I don't think I don't like the way that sounds. You, you, but but it's because the vision of it and the view of it is too small because the enjoyment and the satisfaction from being completely known and completely received and completely experiencing him for eternity will never, ever, ever get old. But again, that was what they saw. They figured it out. Eternity without God is hell, regardless of how cool it sounds, how many benefits there are. Because I guess there's only so many times you can go eat a picnic lunch with your great grandfather on the top of Mount Everest before in eternity it wears thin. So that's a, that's a heart test for us, is would we want heaven if Jesus wasn't there? If God wasn't in heaven, but everything else was, would we want it? That's a little heart test for us, because if we have everything, but not him, we have nothing. Jesus said that himself. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So if if you've been around for me for a little bit, you've heard me say this a lot. And it's because it's always true. And it's because I know I need to keep hearing it. And I believe it's something we need to wrap our heads around. Whatever it is that we're chasing, whatever it is. Even if we caught it twice and got to keep it forever, if it's not him, it's not going to be enough. We have these things set out before us in life. And obviously progress is good. But what I'm talking about is chasing things or situations or standing, thinking that that's going to finally put us to right. That once I get there, maybe once I get to this age or once I get that promotion or once I start making that much, once I get this behind me, once I get that behind me, then, then I'm going to be happy and fulfilled and secure and I'm going to feel safe. And it's just not true. Again, whatever you're chasing, if you caught it twice and kept it for eternity, it still wouldn't be enough if it's not him. Again, we we progress. We mature. We want to do better. We want to grow. We want to experience things in this life. But we should never think that it's going to do something for us that it can't do. Jesus stood in front of this man, loved him, had compassion on him, and he called him. He said, come, follow me. But there's one thing that's holding you back. And he cut him straight to the heart, ready to heal him, ready to say. And he did this with others. He called Matthew, the tax collector, would have been a rich man, too. He called him, said, leave all that and come with me. He was like, here I come. But this man couldn't do it. He said he, he was sad because something else had his heart. And if you think about it, it's really silly that we would think 
that more of something that already hasn't made us feel the way we want to feel is going to finally do it, right? Well, I mean, money really hadn't done it for me so far, but maybe it's because I don't have enough of it. If I just got a lot more, then it would do it. That's just silly. It doesn't work like that. If I just had a lot, a lot more, then I would feel fine. Then I would be safe and everything would be okay. And it's just a lie of our heart to keep chasing the wrong thing. That something that already hasn't made us perfect is going to make us perfect if we have more of it. Remember, this man came to Jesus asking a question, which tells me he didn't feel complete. We know that he was a religious man, an obedient man. He was a man who did good things. He was a good man. He was probably a good, if he, if he was married, he was a good husband. If he was a dad, he was a good father because he was doing the right things. And he was a rich man. He had a lot of stuff. Said he had a whole bunch of stuff and yet he still came to Jesus and said, this isn't doing it. I, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All of his riches and all of his obedience and he still lacked. There was still something missing and standing in front of Jesus who was the only one who could actually satisfy those longings of his heart and of his soul. He received the call, follow me. Lay down your love for your riches. But he couldn't. He walked away. He walked away. And then Jesus, after this happened, and this was probably a pretty startling situation. Because we don't have it recorded that Jesus said this to anybody else. So the disciples are like, is this something new? Like, is this what's going to happen from now? How's, what, what is going on? And Jesus said something that's confused some people. Hopefully it hasn't confused you. Uh, if it has, maybe we'll clear it up today. In verse 24, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He said how hard it is. And he uses this example of a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, there's been some speculation that well, what was he talking about? Did he mean like a literal camel and a literal eye of a needle? Oh, I, somebody said that there's a gate in in Israel that's really small. And if a camel's going to go through it, it's got to like get down on its knees and kind of go through on its knees. And I was like, well, that's pretty symbolic. But I really feel like he's trying to point out that it would be impossible not would be hard, would be difficult. You know, you'd have to humble yourself. He, he says here in a minute the word impossible. So I have to believe he means it literally. It would be impossible for a rich man to go into heaven just like it would be for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Just a little bitty tiny eye of a needle that I can't even really see. And so the disciples feel the weight of what he says. They're like, then who in the world can be saved? You know, they see this guy come up. They probably knew him, right? These towns weren't just huge. And this guy was rich and a, a religious leader. So they probably knew who he was. It was like, oh, here comes, here, here comes Jimmy. He's going to talk to Jesus. Did you hear what Jesus told Jimmy? If Jimmy can't get in, what hope do we have? He's obeyed a lot better than I have. He, he's blessed. Look at him. Look at all the riches he has. God has blessed him. If he's not getting in, Jesus, who's getting in? Who in the world can be saved? Again, if these are the requirements and this guy's precluded, if he's left out, what does that mean for me? What hope do we have? And Jesus in verse 27 says, what is impossible for people is possible with God. And that's why I believe he, he meant it's literally impossible for a rich man to get into heaven 
It's impossible. And they're like, well, what, what, what good is this? What, what, what's even going to happen now? We're all just doomed. And he says, but what's impossible for you is possible with God. What's impossible with you, that's the good news of the gospel. The weight of impossible sitting on our shoulders that we feel as early as we can feel anything. We, we feel that, that I just don't know if I'm ever going to be able to be what I'm supposed to be. And if we try really hard, we, we find out that we never can reach it on our own. But the gospel is we feel the weight of that impossible. And it can. But there is one who can lift it. He said, God is able to do the impossible. See, the rich young ruler had judged Jesus as insufficient to carry all that he was. And he walked away. You can't feel it, Jesus. I was hoping that you could, but obviously you can't because you want me to give you want me to lose stuff. I'm trying to get more stuff. You're trying to get me to lose stuff. He saw it as impossible and didn't see God as being able to lift it. But just think about the, the weight of impossible, right? So the children of Israel, when they were coming out of Egypt, they've been delivered by God. God delivered a group of people, defeated a whole nation without even lifting a sword. One of the strongest nations in the world at that time. And they're, they're coming out of there. And then Pharaoh has a relapse and like, no, I want to go get them. I'm going to go get them and, and bring them back. And so they've got him and his guys chasing them down from behind. And on the other side, they see the Red Sea. It's like, well, we, what do we do? We got the Red Sea over here. No way we're swimming across this. This is death this way. We can't go back this way. That big cloud of dust is a whole bunch of chariots just coming to run us down. We're dead. We have no hope. It is impossible. And then God made a way where there seemed to be no way. He opened up impossible where they were able to walk through to the other Side. When we're talking about this, what I want is for our view, for my view of him to increase, that he is big enough for me to trust him to do what he said he could and would do. That he's big enough to satisfy our hearts, not just now, but for all of eternity. Something that we have trouble wrapping our minds around, and yet he's able to do it and not be exhausted by it. So when we come to him, when we're following him, when we're a follower of Christ, we can expect some heart punches like this guy got. He's going to come to us and go, this has got to go. This has got to be moved out of the way. And when he does that, when he points out things in us, it hurts. It hurt this man. But the problem was, it's in his hurt. He walked away from the only one who could heal him. Because Jesus, while it brings hurt, it's the best kind because he's also bringing the healing, like removing something that's killing us and bringing not only healing, but wholeness. So don't walk away hurt because you'll stay hurt when it comes to Jesus at the end of the day. And scripture testifies to this. One of two things is going to happen to us when it comes to Jesus. We're either going to be broken by him. You're like, that one doesn't sound good. Well, the other one is you would be crushed by him. Those who fall upon him will be broken, but those whom he falls upon will be crushed. And what's the difference? I'm coming to him going, I tried to do it on my own and I can't. I'm throwing everything that I got on you. I am broken by this and you're the only one that can make me whole. The other way is I don't need you. I can do it. I'm going to do it. 
And the weight of trying to be God in our own life slowly but surely crushes us, grinds us to powder is what scripture says. One of those two things is going to happen. But again, in the breaking, he's the one that's there to make us whole. Because what's he breaking? He's breaking our self-righteousness, our reliance on ourselves, our idolatry, our chasing after other things, our love for the world, our pride. Things that we couldn't get rid of on our own because what's impossible with man is possible with God. And then he satisfies our hearts. Joy now, but that is sufficient for all of eternity. Because what's impossible with us is possible with him. We couldn't make ourselves better. He can. We couldn't satisfy the longings and the desires of our heart. He can. What's impossible with us is possible with him. The fullness of that verse should be overwhelming to us. You know, we, we look at we, we apply it to small situations in our life. Well, it may be impossible with man, but it's possible with God. You know, maybe I will get that promotion or it's impossible with man. The doctor said he couldn't fix it. It's possible with God. I'm going to pray that he heals me. And all of those are, are fine for applications of it. But it's so much bigger than that because it's talking about the most impossible things in our life that he is able and well able to do. The fullness of that verse is so overwhelming because it tells us how big he is. Amen. We'll finish up. So if it's impossible with us, then what are we supposed to do? Kind of the disciples who can be saved. Like, what are we supposed to do? You're just telling us how impossible it is. I don't know how we're going to get this camel through the eye of a needle, how we're going to accomplish the impossible. If it's impossible for us, then what are we supposed to do? And what Jesus tells us, in the, in, in the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your strength. What, what our job is, is just to get better at loving him, to practice loving him, to do the things that are going to stir up our affection for him. Why? Because we can know what right and wrong is, but we're going to do what we love. We can know what's right and we can know what's wrong, but we're going to do and follow what we love. So we should pursue those things that are going to stir that affection for him. Grow our understanding of all that he is. To grow our view of him where we trust him more. Where our faith is built up. And then we move away from the things that steal our affection from him. We move away from the things that would try to convince us that they can do what only he can do. And, and, and that looks different. For all of us, right? There's things that all of us need to do and all of us don't need to do. And then there's a, there's a whole other list of things that may be fine for you to do, but it draws my heart away from him when I'm doing it. It may be fine for you to pursue because you're pursuing it right along in your life with him. But for me, it pulls me away. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? He didn't say hands are bad. Everybody cut off your hands. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, Chase after the wrong things. Cut off. T- take those things in your life and just go, I'm not ever going to be able to do that. And that's OK because I don't need it. I have him. You can do it. That's fine. That's great. Lord, love you. Not for me, but I have him. The rich young ruler. I say rich. young. Yeah, the, the religious leader who had great wealth judged Jesus to not be enough. And he walked away. We don't want to make that same mistake. 
We don't want to make that same mistake to look at him based on what we know at the moment and say, no, you're not enough. Because our understanding of him is going to continue to grow even throughout eternity. Just think about trying to understand the ocean by going to one beach. That's what we do with God. It's like, I understand. I've seen it. I've heard it. I know that. Yeah, it's, it's just not, it's not that big of a deal. But when you think about the ocean and how many thousand miles of coastline and beaches there are that, that makes up the experience of that ocean, the depth, how many thousand feet of depth there is to that massive, massive thing. It's just huge as far as square miles go and how we have trouble even wrapping our mind around that. And he made it and told it where to lay down. He's so much bigger than the biggest things that we could ever fathom or imagine. Those are nothing compared to him. And as we grow in our knowledge of his good news, that impossible was laid on our shoulders, but he is big enough to take it off. We'll find that true joy and peace. And we're not going to be the ones wanting to go, yeah, this has gotten kind of boring. I'm ready to check out. He's going to be enough to satisfy your heart for all of eternity. Don't ever think that something less than him will be enough for you. Again, hey, go get you a better job. You know, go get you a better house. But don't think that that's going to make you better. Don't think that that's going to make you better. He's the only one that can do that. Again, if you got five of them, it wouldn't be enough. And we see that. We see a bunch of people that do that. They get everything that we think we would ever need and they still act like idiots. And it's terrible and their life falls apart and we're like, you got a gazillion dollars, man. Why are you sad? Why? You see that? You see that our heart is lied to. So, well, if you just had more, you'd be happier. And if you're not happy with what you have right now in him, you're not going to be happy if you if times 10, times 100, times 1,000. It's proven and we're silly to think anything otherwise because it's there. Don't ever think that anything less than him will be enough for you. And feel the weight of that impossible. My, my satisfaction for forever, my validation for forever, my security for forever. I, you know, I lose my keys sometimes. I'm, I'm shot. It's impossible. But what's impossible with me is possible with him. We feel the weight of that impossible and then we come to the only one who can carry it. And that's our whole life is learning to trust him more and him proving to us that he is who he said he was. And that we keep following him through this life, through the end of this life and for all eternity. Amen. Stand up with me. We get ready to go. When we have time in front of him, sometimes he's going to put things on our heart that we don't want to do, that we don't want to give up and that sting a little bit. But maybe he's trying to tell us, get this out of the way. I want to fill the gap where it is. You've tried to let this be God in your life. You've, you've chased this and tried to make it the ultimate thing and it's going to hurt you. Let me get right back in my spot where I should be. Amen. Let's pray. And then, Andrew, if you'll come up, we'll get ready to sing. Father, you give us exactly what we need because you love us so much. You gave this man the truth. And standing there in front of you, 
hearing exactly what was needed for him to reach and to touch that eternal life that he said he was after and that he knew that he needed and he walked away. God, I pray that we'll see you as big enough to trust, big enough to tote all that is us and not be worn out by it, that you not only love us enough to do it, but you're capable to do it and to do it for forever. God, that as we pursue you, our view of you will grow. And all the other things that we thought were promising, all the other things that we thought would satisfy, all the other things that we thought would make us right will fall away. And we will put all of that weight on the shoulders of the only one who can carry it. We know that we can trust you. And I pray that you increase our faith, that you point out to us where we've trusted other things, we've chased other things, and we became frustrated and injured and hurt and discouraged. Father, we want to lay those down and change the way that we think and chase hard after you. You've said, come follow me. We don't want to walk away. We want to follow you. Even if it means laying stuff down, even if it means letting things go that we thought were important, even if it means setting something aside that we worked hard for, we'll do all of that if it means we get to be with you. Because it's only in you that we have all that we need. We love you and we thank you. Lord, as we get ready to go today, thank you that you're working on us that you don't leave us with this weight of impossible on our shoulders, but you're working on us and you're teaching us because you love us. And I thank you that you're going to minister to our hearts and our minds today as we think on you. As we go together, I thank you, Lord, that we leave in unity, peace with each other, protect us, keep us safe. I thank you, Lord, as we go into this week, we do so with you in mind. And I thank you that you've already put out there encouragement for us to build us up and that you've given us something to give away to others that we can encourage somebody else this week that we can point them back to you how big you are how awesome our God is and how much you love them we thank you for these things and for your grace in Jesus name amen